0: Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode 37 for the week of January the 20th, 2018. On this week's episode, is this Daniel Day Lewis's last performance ever? He says so. And in our second feature of the night, does Nicolas Cage go full on Nicolas Cage? All this and more on the Film Coterie podcast. What's up, Adam? How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. I got you to watch a horror movie today, so that's a win in my book.
0: Yes, you did. And we'll talk about that horror movie a little bit later. It's
1: mom and dad, and it has <laughs> Nicolas Cage in it.
0: Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um Man, it's been a busy week for us here. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is the third episode we're actually recording in a single week. We're <laughs> We're compiling, we're compressing, we're trying to get material out to you because we got some travels. I got some travel coming up.
0: Yeah, and it's also oscar season and we're trying to get through as many of the oscar films as we can we've covered a good bit of what i think will ultimately become uh oscar attending oscar contending type movies so
1: yeah and i i want to point out our next episode should have our top 10 list on it that's the plan so start cracking on your list we want your list we want you to submit your list you can put them on our facebook you can email them to us we'll have more details i'll put it out on the social media but start Get out your pen and paper and start whittling down and figure out what your top 10 films of 2017 were.
0: Yep. And we'll mention several of those if you send it into our Facebook group. And when it comes to if we have a similar uh, movie, like if your number one is, I don't know, uh, Thor Ragnarok, and that ends up on one of our top 10, we'll mention you as well as that was your your, your film. Yeah, we'll see how
1: many submissions we get. We may actually put out a... uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to score. We might have a list that we can compile of what our fans thought were the yeah, best movies of the year.
0: Kind of a curated list, that direction. Yeah. yeah I like that There might that be a idea. clear
1: favorite. There may not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, we have we have uh, a couple movies to go over. I'm very excited about them. And uh, I think we should just jump right in. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, here we are. We'll be right back with our first movie, Phantom Thread.
1: You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the
0: garments. Things that only I knew were there. Uh.
1: Secrets. Good morning.
0: Will you have dinner with me?
1: Yes. Alright, it's time to discuss the Newest movie from Paul Thomas Anderson, and that would be Phantom Thread. The other note to this movie is that this may be the final on-screen appearance of Daniel Day-Lewis. He's announced his retirement after this film. His retirement from acting.
0: So so I think we have to begin our conversation to let our listening audience know, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge PTA fan. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Especially, There Will Be Blood might be like in my top five movies of all time that actually contains about 20 movies, but it's, it's like, you know, you have your, Oh, this is in my top five. And then you end up with, with 15 movies there. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Yeah. But I love there will be blood, but this is a guy that brought us punch drunk love, um, boogie nights, uh, inherent vice. This guy just is a, he's a filmmaker's filmmaker, you know? Uh, so I went into this screening really looking forward to seeing what we would find with this film
1: yeah and I'm, I'm in the same boat i'm a huge fan of what's known briefly as pta so you don't have to say paul thomas anderson and for me in the last 10 years i mean there will be blood was 2007 so roughly 10 years ago if i had to come up with list with the five best american films the past 10 years there will be blood is on that list no question yeah i i agree i don't know what my other four are yet because i haven't done the list but i mean it's it's Something I would consider close to a modern classic, modern masterpiece. So I'm a huge fan, and I went in this fairly dark. I'd only seen the trailer. I specifically wanted to read no reviews. And I hadn't seen much chatter on social media, on Twitter, or anything else, so I didn't really know what the reception for this movie was going to be. I didn't know if people liked it, hated it, so I went in, for me, pretty dark.
0: I, I did too. Same for me, Adam. I went in, saw the trailer, Paul Thomas Anderson... Enough said. And I didn't. I started to go see it last night about ten thirty, and I and I was like, you know, I'm a little bit tired. I can't be going to see a PTA film and and be kind of sleepy. You know, I, I need to be fresh and awake and ready to engage. You know, sometimes you go to the movies, you can just kind of check your brain and enjoy the big explosions. <clears throat> and then sometimes you go to the theater, and it's like there's an experience. You want to see the craft of filmmaking, you know? So I ended up going this morning about 10 o'clock and, um, I had a great experience. I I just got to say from the very beginning, I just absolutely loved Phantom Thread. Um, I, I I think we could talk, we, I think we could literally tell you the entire plot of the movie and it wouldn't spoil one thing for you.
1: It's so well-crafted. This isn't a movie that hangs on any major story twist or performance. It's not
0: a plot-driven movie. So so I just want to say up front, I'm probably going to mention a few things that occurred during the movie, but trust me, it will not affect your enjoyment or maybe your dislike of this film. It's not critical to no big twist. You ruined the movie because you told me that the butler dies in the end
1: kind of a deal. Yeah, and he... What we have in this movie, I saw the late showing. Um, I was enraptured by it. And what this movie really is, and the, the trailer doesn't quite get there with explaining it, is a triangle between three characters: uh, Daniel D. Lewis, who plays Reynolds Woodcock, his fiance Alma, and his sister Cyril. I won't call this a love triangle, but this is an infe- this is an affection triangle. This is three people that care about each other in different ways. And they're always kind of bouncing off each other, and there's a, they have to play off each other for this to work, and that's what the movie really focuses on: is the relationship between these three people. And and I guess that's the best
0: place to start is right there, with this this triumvirate of actors, um, and for me, it probably was one of the best performances I've seen in 2017. Of just sheer acting gravitas. By all three? By all three. I agree. You know, I made the comment to you on the phone earlier when I called you about this movie to kind of give you my initial out-of-the-theater reaction. Daniel Day-Lewis is so great in this film, and he plays such an understated quality to his role, that he allows the other two, the other two women in this film, to really, in one sense, almost outshine him to a degree, and it's because he he puts that canvas out there and allows them to 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 to, to act the way they do. I mean, it's just, you know, it's if this is his last role, it is a sad day for cinema. I'm sorry, because that was a a tremendous performance by an actor. And I've gotta say it, the, the 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 other the other actors, um Leslie Manville and uh, is it Vicky Kreitz?
1: Yes, she played Alma. Yeah, and they played Alma's the sister, Cyril. And then
0: Leslie Manville plays Sarah. Cyril, they're fantastic. I mean, just excellent. And, you know, Cyril is the, you know, this is 1950s London. It's sit in the fashion world where he's a tailorer. And it could have really got into classism a little bit and it could have got into, she could have been the dour kind of cold hearted house leader, you know, but no, she, this, she's so understated in her performance. She doesn't, there's no acting and there's no overacting whatsoever. No, no overt acting going on. She is becoming this character
1: and I'll say this. I was so glad that this movie kind of defied my expectation. I was a little bit worried it was going to head into, from the preview, My Fair Lady territory, that this might be him taking a project on. He's going to take a waitress and bring her up into this world. And this movie is not about that at it's all. It's not that at all. It, it, and I had the exact same feeling. I, I thought that if it
0: goes the way the trailer goes, it's a rescue movie. And this is not. This is a love story. This is a comedy and this is a power struggle movie, a movie about power and control to an extent. And there's so many layers, so many layers in this film we could talk about. Um, I don't I don't even hardly know where to where to begin. I, I guess for me, if I was going to start somewhere, it would just be with the opening opening music.
1: Whoever did the score to this, it's Johnny Greenwood from uh, Radiohead. He's done the scores, I think, for PTA movies since There Will Be Blood.
0: I have never experienced this in the theater. Before the first frame came up, the music started ahead of time. And it was so jarring to me personally, so unnerving, that I almost got up and walked out of the theater until that something, it's like nails on a chalkboard kind of getting to me. And and just like, oh, I mean, just thinking about it. I'm shivering thinking about it. And, 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 and it put me at unease. There's an uneasiness. And I so I began this with an uneasiness. And then the opening sequence is probably, the, the music shifts and becomes very melodic, very beautiful. And one of the most gorgeous opening sequences I've seen in a movie in years. It pans into the mansion where he works, showing all the ladies coming out in and out. And, and, and I guess we could say this from the beginning. There's only two men in
1: the whole film. Right, it's him and then a younger doctor.
0: All the rest are women, and it is it is just an incredible cast. All these ladies coming in for work in their seamstress job, and the way that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, the way he moves the camera through their work environment, through their moving through this mansion, and he tilts the camera up, it's just it was
1: just so engaging. What's engaging about the shot, too, is the percussion from their footsteps. They're yes. kind of marching in a rhythm up, up all these stairs. This is quite a tall town It's a cadence. Home. The beginning of yep. the day.
0: It's, it's, yeah.
1: And the other thing is he shoot, in my opinion, he shot all the seamstresses in kind of an impersonal way where it focused on other things, their feet, their hands, because I think this is how Woodcock sees them. He doesn't really see them as people. You don't really get many shots of their faces or anything else. They are just oh man his engine well, that, that builds his creations.
0: Well, another thing that blew me away about this movie. He shoots this from different
1: perspectives. Yeah, that's amazing that he pulls this uh, off.
0: I mean, and he pulls it off seamlessly. And just now, you saying that I'm just flabbergasted because yes, when when you're seeing
1: the movie through Woodcock's perspective. Even when he's not in the scene, it's presented from his kind of how
0: he views the
1: world, and 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 just to kind of set the stage
0: for you, uh, Reynolds Woodcock is a he's like a high end on demand, does dresses for the elite of 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 England, you know, and around the the world, world, around the world, princesses from around the world come to get their dresses from him, and he is, he's a little bit savant, he's a little bit. Maybe Asperger's are really like so, I mean, focused in. The rest of the world means nothing. He's so scheduled and regimented in his day. And that's that gives him the freedom to create his art and to create these beautiful dresses. So, so much could be said about this film. And I feel like I'm just rambling. I should have, I should have, this movie is so good. I should have took the time to write down some copious notes to kind of let you know. But I'm just telling you. It's a masterpiece of, of filmmaking.
1: Well, let's talk about the perspective thing, because this was really interesting to me. I did not catch on until after the film, and I was reading some other things, and I thought about it. The movie opens from the perspective of Reynolds. Alma gets introduced maybe 15 minutes in, maybe right. less, and there's a power struggle. They, they start a relationship, and he has all the power. That starts changing throughout the movie. The relationship evolves, well, he, and, and effortless, effortlessly perspective almost switches to Alma. She becomes the main character of the movie. It's following her and what she's doing. And the sound design follows. And we'll talk about this. Because when Reynolds is annoyed by something, they amp up the sound. If it's scraping toast, if it's tea being poured too loud, they, they fixate on that because he's hearing it as a distraction. But this shift in perspective is done flawlessly throughout the movie, from one character to the other. Well, it, it, this is a man that
0: has had many women in his life and he always tires of them eventually. And they usually are disposed of. Cyril gets rid of them. That's kind of seen in the first five minutes of the movie. He's disposing of his latest girlfriend that he's grown tired of. But he
1: won't dispose of them but himself. But he won't.
0: Cyril does it. Because she's really the glue. She she is. Her performance is so great. She's the glue that holds, this, holds that whole house together, really. So on the very first time he meets Alma, the waitress, he controls everything. He takes the menu from her. He says, now, do, can you remember that? Okay, good. And he hides the menu and puts it in his pocket. They go out on a date that night. He reaches over and he brushes off, says, let me see what you look like behind that makeup, and takes off her, her lipstick. Then he orders her. Can you come back to my house? Not for a romantic rendezvous. Work. Work. He wants to dress her. He wants to get her measurements. He wants, you know, and it's like you're thinking
1: and it's not sexual at all. He's almost asexual as a character. Yes. This is just his obsession is is the female frame and dressing it.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you think that it's going to go down that trope of uh, okay, another misogynistic man that's going to control the woman and she's somehow going to win him over and change him, right? Well, here's the deal. She bucks him from the start. I mean, she is defiant. She's going to lead her life. We get no backstory about Alma at all. I'm sitting here. I, I was I was kind of speculating. What is her backstory? What has cost her to have no... Sit in the 1950s. She's definitely a foreigner. She's not from England. We don't know where she's from, who her parents are.
1: She has no family that we know of. She's just working as a waitress in a small countryside town outside of London. Yeah. And, and so... um, But there's
0: an inner strength that is there. And she says something to the effect of, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And the way he cross cuts in in time to the doctor, who we find out halfway through is the doctor. Because during the beginning of this movie, it it flashes over to Alma sitting with this other man in a real dark area with the lighting and the fireplace and stuff. And you think, okay, is this way later? What's going on here? Well, you find out it's actually the other male character in the film, which was a doctor called in to help help treat, you know, Reynolds when he's having a spell. Um, And she said and she like opens up to him and says, you know, I'm going to live my life my way. Uh, And then she tells him later, I gave him every piece of me. I gave him all that I was, you know. I mean, just I'm telling you, Adam, this movie just blew me away. And so, so many different levels, you know. The music is great. It's funny. There's some great comedic elements here. Specifically, <laughs> a, a scene that I don't want to spoil, but let's just say Alma decides to plan a special night for this guy that's regimented. And he's so befuddled. Daniel Day-Lewis' character is so messed up that he don't know what to do. And he, when he comes down that night after the whole, after, you know, he gets himself together. I just laughed out loud, you know?
1: Well, let's get to the main point here is that how was Daniel day Lewis in this movie? And if you've seen him in the, you know, and there will be blood or gangs in New York, those are very loud characters that exist, you know, outside of the skin. Their very presence is known in the room all the time. Reynolds Woodcock is the opposite of that. He's a character with an internal struggle and he's very quiet, but he's reserved. He's, he could be both childlike and fatherlike in his demands. One, he wants to control everything, but sometimes he just wants to be nurtured and cared for. So he oscillates between these two levels, and it's, it's a great performance that everyone's able to play off. This character, as always from Daniel Day-Lewis, is fully fleshed out without a backstory or anything else. It's, it's the performance that roots it in our minds and in the movie.
0: Yeah, I, I think his act, I, I said it earlier in the podcast, his acting is spot on. It probably could easily go down as his best performance ever. Um, there's such an understatedness to his performance. He lays literally the canvas on which, um, Alma and Cyril will act on
1: and be just, just amazing in. Um, and there are important scenes that there's nothing there but a look. I can think of two scenes that are, yes. that are very key to the movie, and it's all just in he, two characters so looking natural. and reacting to each other. He,
0: he, you know, I heard I've heard that he, uh, you know, afterwards you you do some research on the film and stuff, and I heard that he learned to be a seamstress. He learned to sew because he wanted. To, he just seemed so natural. It, he looked like a guy from 1950s London that had been a seamstress or. Cordier uh, courtier, Taylor. Or Taylor, whatever you call it. all of his life, he was completely at ease with all those women around, completely at ease, completely asexual, nothing alluring, never demeaning to the women, never condescending to them. Um, just, just a fantastic role, I tell you. His performance was excellent. And I think he was really, I'm going to be honest, I think Alma and Sarah outshined him. That's how much I think yeah, of their, their roles.
1: The roles are more expressive. Yes. And that's, that's where they could really shine. Oh, yeah. So then we have Leslie Manville, who played Cyril, the older sister. I think older. She Same age, older. Yeah, Old so-and-so. He calls her old so-and-so. She's the, the business mind of his empire. She's the one that arranges for the client. She takes care of the day-to-day, and she keeps him focused. Her job is that, as the manager but it also has a very maternalistic side where he goes to her for advice. Yes, She's the counselor. She tells him what to do, what's in his best interest, and he likes her protection. He can freak out if she's not around. This is very much a, a child-mother relationship. She Even is, though they're brother-sister, there's a very maternal side to her.
0: She's the safety net. She's the security blanket. Um, and it's this triangle. I, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it's this triangle that really made me think of Rebecca. The movie, the 1940 movie, the Hitchcock movie, where Rebecca is this first wife. That's the haunted, almost in in this movie, Rebecca is the mother, the the the, the, the picturesque bride, the mother that was not there to be, you know. Um, and then in Rebecca, there's the dour old lady that runs the house, the new young bride that comes in. I mean, the parallels are just really fascinating. And this movie, Phantom Thread, takes a what I would dare say is a Hitchcockian evolution toward the last third of it. You know, it gets kind of not thrillery, but Hitchcockian. I don't know how else to say it. And it takes on Vertigo comes to mind with Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart. That how that relationship changes. Kim Novak in the beginning of Vertigo is completely dependent on Jimmy Stewart. And by the end of Vertigo, she is completely controlling Jimmy Stewart. Um, a lot of parallels there. Uh, even maybe a little bit of uh, of uh, you could do uh, Psycho with. Uh, there's there's this attraction that's there. There's the mother in the background that's that that's looming. And he's peeking through the peephole at, you know, when checking in on her to see how Alma's doing, you know,
1: during a fashion show in his own home, he's not out in public. He's in the back room and he's watching through a peephole to see the crowd. And and then you see how,
0: how she turns and sees him and lingers and lingers and backs away, backs away looking at him, you know, just, just fantastic. So, so there's so, so many great parallels here. I love the character of Cyril. I, the, the, who played kind of the house manager she could have so easily been a cold character cold dour calculating protective character she's very protective she's very calculated but she's not calculating which I think is two different things and there's a warmth to her she comes to really like Oma and she does something she never does she intercedes into his world at breakfast one morning. Just just the, the, the motif of breakfast every morning, resetting the day, the way he likes things, you know. And she interrupts that and says, well, I can get rid of her if you want me to, but I, I like this girl. And he turns and looks at her and he says, you like her? She's never liked anybody he's dated, you know. I, I don't know. I just.
1: And it's nice in this movie. There's no villains. There's no characters with even a motive that's in opposition. Everyone's generally trying to work towards... There's
0: no external conflict. It's, it's yeah, all internal. Right. It's just just amazing. I, and then Alma, who was played by the... Um, uh, Vicky Kreps. V- v- Vicky Kreps. She's just amazing. She... I still... i I got to see this movie again. I know she. she comes to love him. I don't know if she's playing a long con in the beginning, because of some of her actions later. There's a point where I wonder about her sanity, and then I don't. I mean, one of the most complex under and and, and all three of these roles are so understated. You know, uh, Alma and Cyril are are more exuberant, but even in by standard Hollywood standards, this is a very down very internal story here I, I tell you it's just I know I'm going
1: on and on about the movie but I,
0: it's just just absolutely brilliant to me
1: now now for the real meat to the movie and this is what I really loved about it because people were all wondering what what Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to say with this movie what I took from it was this is really a movie about what we do in relationships and also about the creation of art because they burn up resources there's a cost to both of those so for instance with art you also you often hear the term tortured artist a lot of art comes from suffering you know Billy Joel was making much better music when he was going bar to bar and didn't know where the next meal was coming from than when he had three houses so and that's the thing is that he's he's got to do something to make this art it is he's a tortured individual and he needs something to feed that and you see that he's a little bit manic he's up at four in the morning working but after a big show when he's had success he collapses he's in bed for three days and he's like a child
0: yeah
1: and then with relationships we've seen his muses you know if he's a furnace they're the coal that he puts in and when they're done he gets rid of them
0: absolutely they're not
1: renewable he just moves on so again it's about the relationships and the cost what we take from them so i think it's a nice mix that i think pta is just really trying to get into is that there's a lot in common between the creation of art and the fostering of relationships
0: well, I think you you hit the I think you hit the nail right there, Adam. It's definitely about the cost of love and the cost of self for love. Um, uh, Daniel Day Lewis makes a comment at some point when she finds out he's never been married, and he said, "Well, one, I I I didn't want, I could never lie, or I I I I, I I I I couldn't be dishonest." And what he's saying is not that I, I couldn't lie to my wife. What he's saying is I couldn't. I couldn't give myself to this. How do I give myself to another person when I've given myself to my art? You know, how how do I give? And so he doesn't see that there's any way that because of what he's given himself to with with making dresses and designing dresses, he, he can't give himself to another person because that would take away from his ability to create art.
1: Yeah, the cost. I mean, it burns things up. He burns through the muses. I mean, there's a cost to what he's doing. Yes. That that fuel for his fire. Yes. Now, what does it say about this movie? We are two
0: white men, middle American men, one of us middle ages, one of us a little younger pup here. And we are going on and on and on about a movie about a dressmaker. But it's not really about fashion or anything else. This is a movie about relationships. Saying that's the point. That's what I'm getting to. Don't judge this book by its cover. This is not a only go see this if you're into high fashion. This is a tremendous love story, a story of a power struggle between a man and a woman that wants to be honest to each other. She wants... She's determined she's going to live her life my way. I'm going to do things my way.
1: One well, important too, right on the first date or near the first date, she says, is, if this is a staring contest, I'm going to win. Yes, absolutely. And what
0: does Sarah say to him when they have a confrontation? Don't mess with me. I'll run right through you and you'll I'll leave you on the floor. Yeah, she's she's about the only one that can put him in his place. You know, and so here are these two women that he desperately needs. He falls in love with one or or we assume he does, right? We don't know for certain he fall, falls in love with one and the other is a motherly figure that is the driving force behind his business. You know? And what
1: we do know through exposition is how important his mother was to him. Absolutely. She's a specter that literally haunts the, the frame around his life. And he puts her, her hair and little trinkets of her in his coats. He yeah. sew stuff into the lining. Yeah. So there's another figure that's just a specter outside of the film that's always there. Wow. So I I recommend highly. You need to go see Phantom Thread. It's one of the best movies of the year. I think it's going to be on both of our top tens. I'd be shocked if it wasn't.
0: It's going to. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this? We could go on and on and on and on about this movie, but I think we've covered
1: a lot of ground. Yeah. And even the cinematography is just incredible. And I mean, I was ready to give it to Roger Deakins for Blade Runner 2049, but this I think was superior there's a shot at a New Year's party. It's just a long shot, following him through a crowd and an emotional moment at the end of it. And it's an amazing shot. One of yeah. the best shots I've seen all year.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for Phantom Thread. Adam and I both loved it. We recommend you go see it. Um, get to the theaters. Give us your feedback. Um, what did you think of Phantom Thread? Was it worth Was it worth your time? Did you see something we didn't see? Get into our Facebook group and uh, uh, let's get let's get a conversation going about it. So, all right, we're going to take a break and come back with we're going to switch gears and go to horror, mom and dad time. You sound thrilled about that. Oh boy! You're listening to the Film cuttery podcast. We'll be right back. With Riley tonight? With Riley? Your grandparents are coming for dinner tonight, remember? Awesome! Grandpa telling his disgusting Vietnam stories. Take my advice, don't ever have kids. Everything just revolves around you, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever.
1: (laughs) What's the rush today? It's like they're waiting for a buffet. What's going on? Is that McKenna's mom? Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Dad? Okay, we're back. Our second movie of the evening is Mom and Dad, a new horror movie from Brian Taylor of crank fame. And starring the one and only, the completely irreplaceable Nicolas Cage. I love me some Nicolas Cage, let me tell you. And some Blair as the mom. Yeah, absolutely. So in this movie universe, something has happened to the parents. Some rogue signal has gone out over the airwaves and has made them kill their children. Want to kill their children. (laughs) Not just any children, their own specifically. These are like heat-seeking zombies that have one target. Which is an interesting take on the genre. They're not just maddened by a virus. They have very specific targets. And what it's based on is in nature, there are some species like pigs and some other animals that can go through a period called savaging, where out of nowhere, they will kill their young. Not for food, not for anything else. They will, they will kill their young, and it's usually for herd survival, you know, in case they're heading into a season with not as much food or anything else. Sometimes you just have to thin the herd, Adam. Well, this is the human version of it, as parents <laughs> go crazy. And must kill their offspring. Now I have a question
0: because I, I'm just coming to the horror genre. You are I, you're really the expert here. So so let me ask you some questions. Is this movie intended to be campy and funny? Yes. Okay. I hope so because it seemed like a couple times they were trying to be really dramatic and scary. It's meant to be campy, fun.
1: Don't take it seriously. Correct. Yes. The cheese is in full effect, right. and it's it's but, played for laughs.
0: Because because there's one scene there's a birthing scene yes and when it went to the fake doll baby i was laughing i i, I yeah. actually chuckled out loud at that scene right and i thought okay i hope they're going for campy here yes. you know they they clearly are i kind of wish as morbid as this sounds they'd have went
1: for it a little bit more right they're and, actually restrained in this and movie, they were strange and
0: me. and because they were restrained it kind of added a little bit of a serious tone to it, to me, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I, ultimately I, I wasn't a fan of the movie. I didn't really like the movie. Um, but there were things in the movie that were likable, you
1: know? Um,
0: you know so I'm glad it was meant to be campy and kind of funny intentionally.
1: Yeah, and there's a great setup at the school. No one really knows what's going on yet. And all of a sudden, school has not even let out yet. And there's all kinds of parents outside this fence waiting to get their children. It's weird. It's creepy. You know, you're in like a Twilight Zone or Black Mirror episode of something has just gone wrong. And then all hell breaks loose when, you know, they a couple kids break over the fence. and And their parents, again, are not just killing any children. They're specifically just taking out their own offspring. And they act normal to the other children. There's a scene where a guy coming out covered in blood with a baseball bat says hey to the neighbor kids like nothing's happened because they're they're not his kids it's just normal yeah. to him yeah and uh the movie goes from the school to basically back at home where the two main leads are a teenage daughter and her, and her younger brother are now holed up in a basement against nicholas cage and selma blair as their parents who are trying to get in and get him nicholas cage we need to talk about him in this movie he's full-on cage mode i i like i liked him in that role i
0: have gotta be honest with you he um he plays Nicolas Cage great.
1: <laughs> How much do you say it, Adam? Um, He's got a Gonzo level that he brings. Yeah,
0: there's one scene specifically, and that I thought he he did such a good job. It took me out of the movie, and that's the, the pool table scene in the basement. Yeah, I like that too. I I, I mean, it, like he. I'm he like, monologues. Yeah, he monologues. And I'm like, okay, we just got into some serious acting right here. And then a real moment between him and his wife in the midst of all this buffoonery of a horror movie, you know, and I thought that's that's strange. And it took it it was just almost misplaced in the movie, but it showed me well the dude can when he when he rolls the sleeves up, Nicolas Cage can still act a little bit, you know, because he went full on. Crazy there, you know, full on, I've snapped mode, you know, and went monologue on us. It was great. I was like, that's really good.
1: Yeah, so things that don't work so well, uh, there's some flashbacks, and then there's just some cuts where it'll go from an action scene to to a fade in black. I agree. And it's black for a couple seconds, and it kills kind of the momentum, which is surprising, because this is from the director of Crank, a high-octane hyperkinetic film that never stopped moving. This one could have used some of that energy. I agree. And it's lacking there, and it, it kind of kills some of the momentum, the momentum the movie brings. But Nicolas Cage is fun. There's a lot of jokes with the saw. The saws all is the company. It saws yeah, it saws, all. saws all,
0: and it saws all.
1: <laughs> it's tough to say, but <laughs> Nick Cage and Selma Blair keep repeating it. it. It makes her some funny gags. Yep. It's a little bit of Home Alone with the kids preparing some defenses against the parents.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And... uh and then there was there was a, it was kind of comical, a little bit of a funny scene where we get three generations going at it.
1: Yes, it's not <laughs> well, yeah at one a good time.
0: Scene. You know that's a pretty good. I I thought okay, that was pretty. This is a movie that could have been with just a little tweaking and a little shifting for me personally, could have been really really funny and really yep. really enjoyable. I mean, it,
1: it misses the mark, but it's not missing by too much. And with a little extra work couple tweaks here and there I mean it right. would have been pretty good in the horror comedy world
0: this is a um, if we had all our gang together and we were sitting around in your apartment drinking some beers yep. and and you pop this on uh, I, I could see some good banter and chatting back and forth during this movie
1: and it's also missing kind of an iconic scene there's no kill or something that's really memorable so I mean that's kind of the, the things that's missing well it leaves it open for a sequel
0: well you know the thing of it is is that because of the subject matter you can't have that iconic kill in one sense because it's parents hunting their children now you can have a reversal where one of the, the children iconically kill their parents but then you have a child killing their parent you see what i'm saying the whole subject matter is so taboo mm-hmm. and in today's world where this stuff happens in a serious way really bad you know I think that's what works against it. I love yeah. it that it's something a little different. It's different in the horror genre, but um, at least from my my experience, and I, I'm much more relieved to hear you say that this was a uh, meant to be a campy comedy horror. You know,
1: and I mean, it it is a touchy subject matter too, because with the news, there's that family. <laughs> That we've all seen the guy with the bull haircut and the 13 children. Yes. So, I mean, there's a lot of real-life news stuff that kind of bleeds into this. But, you know, I it's a fun movie. And I I think it's worth checking out if it hits HBO. Like, if this was on HBO late at night, I'd have some fun with it watching it. I'm, I'll probably check it out again. Um, I still have it on my rental period. Um, but it's just, you know, compared to some other movies that came out recently, like Tragedy Girls. Tragedy Girls was great. A lot funnier, a lot solid a very solid entry in the horror comedy genre this one just misses the mark a little bit but it's frustrating because you can see how close it could have been and we have to give marks for this and horror a lot of the stuff we've seen before a lot of retreads rehashes I mean you know people run over the ground over and over again in horror this is new right there's no movie like this so I, I give them a lot of credit for coming up with a unique premise yeah and Nicolas Cage elevates the material Yep. there's Uh, a scene early on where he just gets hit with a ball and he turns around and his reaction shot actually made me laugh out loud. And I enjoyed him all the way through the movie. If anything, you could say it needs more of him because he was good in every scene he's in.
0: No, I would agree. There were scenes where I was like,
1: let's get back to Nicolas Cage. Selma Blair gets a more thankless role, but she's fine in the movie. And uh, I mean, it's it's in limited theaters this week, but it was micro budget. And I, I think it'll do fine on all the streaming services and VOD. I'm trying to think. So Hellboy's where Selma
0: Blair has been, right? She played Liz in Hellboy, yeah. Okay, because that's the only thing I can remember her from. I don't know what else she's done, but I remember her from Hellboy. So, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else for Mom and Dad?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all there is to say about Mom and Dad. It's, it's okay. short. I mean, I think it's like 83 minutes. It just flies by. Yeah. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for that. Uh, I'm really excited about our next
0: our next segment we're going to do. Uh, so stick around. Adam and I are going to each share five films that came out in 2017 that we think either flew under the radar or that you might have missed that is now worth catching on video on demand or maybe even Netflix and Amazon Prime or Hulu. So you're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. We will be right back after the music. And welcome back. And uh, hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Film Coterie podcast. Adam and I have a special segment we want to kind of do this week, and it's and it's gonna we're gonna gonna call this under the radar, you know. And this is five films that we've picked that we really enjoyed, that we think you would like, that probably you missed in 2017 or maybe didn't get time to go see. Uh, that you can now check that's either on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or video on demand. They're all available, you know. And so I I didn't do my order in any specific list like the top five. They're not like number one's not better than number five. These are just five films that I've pulled out. How did you do
1: your list, Adam? Yeah, the same way. These are movies that are not in my top ten list but that I adored from this year that I, I think people may have missed out or didn't hear about. And they're not going to hear about from top ten lists. That's why I picked them as a way to at least put a spotlight on them and say, hey, you should check out these movies if you think you're into the material. Yep.
0: Now, I do want to have one honorable mention. We do honorable mentions at the end, right? I have one. You probably have a couple you want to mention, too. Yeah, we'll save
1: those for the end. Okay,
0: we'll save this for the end. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, the first film that I want to mention um, was very limited released into the theaters. It's primarily been on Netflix. It's a Netflix original movie produced by in Netflix, and that's Mudbound. And this movie just blew me away when I watched it. Um, the director is D. Reese, and it stars um, uh, Garrett Hudland and Carrie Mulligan and Jason Clark. And it, but anyway, it's set right after World War II in the Deep South, and it's there's such a uh, sharecroppers and uh, uh, you know, African-Americans and, and the white sharecroppers and how they get along and how they work together and racism, uh, just a brutally honest look at racism in the South right after World War II. You know, World War II was kind of this event, this war that brought, uh, um, brought America together and African-Americans specifically, some of them were officers, some of them flew airplanes, some of them, you know held roles that they never would have held in America in the 1930s and 40s, you know. But here, it's like there's a reversal back to that. And uh, the two protagonists, the, the, the two main actors in the film are are men that have come back, and they've decided to continue to be friends, and the uproar it causes in that local community. So I'd recommend Mud, Mudbound. It's on Netflix if you have it. It's for free, and it's definitely worth you watching Pop some popcorn and uh, and watch Mudbound.
1: All right, well, my first pick is going to follow, and it's very much in the vein of Mom and Dad. It's a Christmas horror movie called Better Watch Out, and this is one very messed-up Home Alone movie. Uh, it's an Australian-American production. It's currently on VOD, but if you have Shudder, which I recommend you get Shudder, if you do have Shudder, it's free on there as an exclusive. So it's a babysitter and her young not ward, but the person she's babysitting, come under attack under a strange home invasion. A very fun. All hell breaks loose. Don't watch the trailer. Trailer gives away far too much, but I definitely can't recommend it enough. Um, it's a great Christmas movie, and it's called Better Watch Out on Shudder, and you can also get it on iTunes or anything else for VOD. Awesome.
0: Sounds good to me, Adam. Um, my next film is one that snuck up on me that I wasn't expecting to like it. We just happened to pop in and watch it on a Thursday night and it affected me really profoundly emotionally because I have, I had spent some time last year up in Canada and I had spent some time uh, with the Cree nation, uh, indigenous people, the first peoples that live there and got to know their culture and got to see the struggles that they go through and ended up making two. Um, two trips up there to Canada to visit them and there was a movie that came out that dealed with conflict with the Native American indigenous people here in the United States and that's the movie Wind River. Um, uh, Taylor Sheridan was the director and uh, it stars uh, Jeremy Renner and uh, Casey Esbel, and it has to deal with the murder and the cover-up of that murder and you have the Native American lands, which they have, that, that's kind of a sovereign ground for them. You have big oil. Then they're kind of, they control, they answer only to the federal government on their land. And then you have good old Jeremy Renner, a local small town police sheriff, you know. Um, and, and so they all get embroiled. And um, man, I just loved this movie. It, 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 the, the pace of it is a little slower. But the impact at the end is pretty profound, you know, when there's finally things come to a head. And so um, if you get a chance, I would highly recommend, I think it's on Amazon Prime for free now, maybe, or at least for uh, a rental. I know you can get it there. I would recommend, uh, it's my second movie, Wind River.
1: All right, I'm going to keep it in the horror vein, at least for the next one. Uh, Creep 2. It is on Netflix. You can watch it on there. It's also on VOD, but free on Netflix. It's a follow-up directed by Patrick Bryce and still starring Mark Duplass. Uh, He's best known from the league, but he's been doing a lot of good indie stuff lately. Creep the series is found footage, but it's done well because it's usually just the relationship of two characters. In Creep 2, it's the relationship between a documentarian and her subject who happens to be a killer. I can't think of a better example of just a two-person horror movie. These two bounce off each other, change each other, and have such an interesting, <sighs> engaging relationship that you don't know what the hell's going to happen. He just flat out tells right. her right off the bat, at the start of the movie, I'm, I'm a killer. I'm kind of going through a cold spell. Midlife crisis. I don't know that I want to keep doing it. I don't know that I'm going to kill you. And she stays because she doesn't know if he's telling the truth or not. And she wants to make the best episode ever of her show. So it's just a fascinating film. You don't need to see the first one for this to work. And if you like it, I mean, I would check out the first one. There's a third one coming. It's a Netflix exclusive, and um, I really liked it. It was one of the better horror experiences of my year. It was Creep too. so that's on Netflix. Awesome. Now,
0: my third film may surprise a lot of our listeners out there because as soon as they hear who stars in this film, they're going to go, oh, Roger, really? And that's Tom Cruise. Don't say the mummy. An American Maid. Thank God. <laughs> no, the mummy I've heard was terrible. Well, I've seen bits and pieces of the mummy and yeah, it's not worth watching. Anyway, American made and I'm not a Tom Cruise hater. I actually really like Tom Cruise films. I usually am positive on most of his. Um, let's just put it this way. I'm a Blu-ray Bob when it comes to Tom Cruise. I just like his movies, right? But this movie was intriguing. It was, it was shot well. It was uh, the, I love the way the pace, the way it was cut, Um, And the story is just, you wouldn't believe it if it wasn't true kind of a deal. Set in the 1980s during the war on drugs and a TWA pilot is recruited to work for the federal government to fly these spy planes down into the cartel country um, to take pictures, to gather proof to do the war on drugs and then just decides he's going to partner with the cartel and bring drugs back into the Mer- into America on his way back. And here's the craziness of it. The CIA don't care as long as he keeps feeding them the intel they need to keep their programs running and funded. And it's just, it's a tremendous look at ex- of the 80s and the excess of the 80s. And I mean... I just love, you know, if this wasn't a great movie year, it probably would have made my top ten. Uh, but I highly recommend. Now that it's out on video, you can see it, um, Amazon, different places. I, you know, you want a fun night, you, you want to kind of have one of those wow moments, like wow, that the '80s were screwed up in, in a lot of ways. This is a pretty, this is a pretty accurate story, you know, of what, of what this pilot went through and what he did, you know. So I'd recommend American Made.
1: Yeah, I've not seen it. It's been on my short list for a while to check out some night and It'll happen soon. Well,
0: I'd really like to get your opinion about it, especially the way it was filmed and edited and cut, the pace of it. Um, There's a use of VHS footage all throughout the film, which is really cool because it gives it that 80s look, you know. So, yeah, I would love to get your thoughts when you get a chance to watch it.
1: My next film is Lady Macbeth, a film out of the UK. It's currently on VOD. It's not streaming anywhere, but you can rent it. And this is a great companion piece to Phantom Thread. Some of the similar subject areas, it's about a a young woman married to an older man, and their struggle in a relationship. And it it takes a more sinister turn than Phantom Thread, that's for sure. But it's a very engaging film, and this is an interesting movie to me because of the main character's change from a, a kind of a moral person going the other way, her moral shift to what she needs to do to survive or better herself. And I think it, it could lead to a lot of really good conversation to see how this woman changes over the course of the right. film for what she's willing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's Lady Macbeth, and it's out there on VOD right now.
0: It's on my short list as well. Yeah, I really want to see Lady Macbeth.
1: Um, maybe get the family to watch it too. So. I, and it's not the Shakespeare play, just so you know. Right. It, no, yeah, it's it in it it modern time, yeah. Well, not modern. Well, it's, yeah. It's not Shakespeare. It has the no. name, but it's not based on Macbeth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my next film kind of flows into that same, when I mentioned the actor, you're going to go, really, Roger? That movie? So I, I want to give you, a, I want to paint you a visual picture. Remember the good old days when you would go to the midnight movie, and it was fun, crazy movies, you know, a movie that took you on a ride, and it was a one-night thrill, and crazy stuff happened, and people laughed and enjoyed it, and it was strange and weird, and yet you were like, oh my gosh, you know. all of that to me describes the excellent film good time and it stars somebody i never would have dreamed robert patterson patterson is in this movie from the twilight movies Mm -hmm. and when you when adam told me about this film i was like really robert patterson we're gonna see i'm gonna see this twilight guy this patterson guy and he's excellent He's really great
1: in this in this film. This is a career changing role for him. Yes, for anyone a, that's going to see this. Absolutely,
0: movie. Um, he has a mentally handicapped brother that gets himself in trouble. He uses his brother to do a, to rob a store, and it all goes bad. And he spends the rest of the night doing. I mean, literally desperate to free his handicapped brother. He's just
1: racing around trying to get bail money.
0: And it is just a fantastic ride of a movie. Um, The only thing that's disappointing is I don't think this movie will play nearly as well on a small screen. Unless you got a big old giant TV and you can get some friends together and enjoy this. This is a movie meant to be seen with a crowd of people.
1: And it's wildly unpredictable. You don't know where this movie is going to go.
0: Twists and turns. I mean, there's one whopper of a twist. I never saw coming, and I'm not even going to give you a hint what it was, but I was like, you got to be. I mean, I literally, I think I said out loud, you got to be kidding me at the movie when it was going on, you know. So that's my fourth film is Good Time starring Robert
1: Pattinson. And that is on VOD, and Netflix has the rights to it. It'll be hitting Netflix at some point. It's just not there yet. Yeah. So uh, my next movie is called Patty Cakes. This is about Killopee, a white female rapper that is just struggling to break into the world. And I had a lot of fun with this movie because it's really just about a cast of underdogs. She makes some strange friends. They all have the same interests. And you just root for them to succeed and just to get their song played on the radio. It's a small goal, but you know the movie really captures you. It's very engaging. And I mean, this this was on my list for a long time for possible top ten, and it just recently fell out. But I really enjoyed Patty Cakes, and right now that is on VOD only, but it should be hitting some other streaming services soon. Yeah, I want to see Patty Cakes as well too.
0: It looks very interesting. So, um, okay, my last film, my last under the radar, my last film you probably missed. I'll be shocked. I bet most of the people missed this film because I would have never seen it if Adam hadn't said, you really need to see this film. And then I watched it. And for a long time, I thought this film might end up on my top 10. And then we got into a great movie here. (laughs) I think it ended up around 25 or so. But uh, and it's got um, Anne Hathaway stars in this. And she's a I mean, she's an A-list actress, actor. And she plays a woman struggling with alcoholism who um, when she becomes inebriated and she goes to a certain area in a park, a kaiju fo- on the other side of the world comes into the city and whatever move she does, this kaiju does. Now you think to yourself, this is the most ridiculous. And it also stars Jason Sadukas um, as well. And you think, this, just the premise is ridiculous, ridiculous for this film. But there's a lot of heart behind this movie. And it's really not about the... The kaiju is just a representative of the monster that is alcoholism that's destroying her life. And uh, affecting others. And affecting others as yeah. well, too. And because, um, you know, you find out that there are others who are have that same kaiju, that same monster that they're having to deal with as well. And so if you get a chance and you just have nothing to do, I would highly recommend that you rent or watch or purchase colossal starring anne hathaway i think you'll enjoy it
1: yeah i love this movie i had the chance to see it at fantastic fest it's from nacho Vigalondo, who's a filmmaker i really like and this movie shocked me because it 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 covers a lot of ground and it's really just a good movie about coming home to a small town and people yeah. aren't necessarily who you think they are and you know, just trying to better yourself and, and come out of a, a and, rut.
0: And she doesn't get the answers where I th- where you think she's going to get them from. So just really, really solid film.
1: Very entertaining too. It has its own good messages, but it's also a very entertaining film. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Adam, your last one, last one under the radar. My last one here. This movie was on my top ten list and was just knocked off last night by Phantom Thread, so it was that close to making it. And that is Thelma. It's a film out of Norway. And Norway actually submitted it to the Oscars as their contender for Best Foreign Picture. Every country outside of the U.S. submits one film. They have to choose one to submit for that category. And this was the Norwegian selection. This is a sci-fi thriller. Some horror elements, as much as, you know, Carrie's a horror movie, it has some of the same kind of body horror, someone going through changes, developing powers, kind of angle. But I think it was even done better in this movie than Carrie. You have a girl going to college... That really starts developing some powers. Her parents are scared of her. Her classmates are scared of her. She affects everyone around her. And this is an incredible origin story. It's not a comic book movie. But if it was, it'd be an incredible comic book movie. Wow. And it ends, and you just don't know which way she's going to go. Is she going to change the world and be a hero or a villain? Because she is powerful.
0: I've got to see this movie, man. You, you described it to me earlier, and I thought, man, that's, that sounds like a great film. So,
1: Right now, it's only on VOD. It just hit iTunes this week. It was in limited theaters in December, so now it's out for rent or purchase on iTunes. And it's Thelma. I, I can't recommend it enough. Yep, I'm writing it down right now. Thelma, go watch. And it. I don't know if it made the shortlist or not. But it was submitted to the Oscars, so it could be a contender for Best Foreign Picture. We'll find
0: out in a couple weeks. I think maybe next week or something. Next week they come out. The the nominations come out. I only have one honorable mention. You probably have a few as well that you want to mention. Um, And my honorable mention, one that didn't make the top five but is totally worth you, you watching, is The Big Sick. Yes. And I really enjoyed this film. I've never seen a romantic comedy, and you, and I'm just going to steal the way you said it, Adam, because it's so perfect, where the lead guy has to date the parents. Right. You know? And, and this cast, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, perfect together. I mean, perfect casting. Um, Zoe Kazan and then Kumal, who's all over. He's huge right now, you know. With Silicon Valley. Yeah, with Silicon Valley. He's great in this. And it's based on his real life. He and his wife went through this. This is their story. And his wife, uh, before she was his wife, when he just started dating her, she got like really sick and went into a coma and was unconscious for days. And the first time he meets, that that Kumal meets her parents, is at the hospital while she's in a coma. And then they get thrown together while she's unconscious for several days. And them them coming to get beyond so many themes, immigration and people from different countries and cultures and religions. And my favorite scene in the movie, I think it's, I hope it's in the trailer, because I don't, I I, I mean it's too late. I'm gonna spoil the anyway. My favorite scene of the whole movie is Ray Romano sitting down with Kamal, and, and only as Ray Romano can in his. In his befuddled, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. How do I say this? He goes right there and brings up nine eleven,
1: <laughs> and Kamal says he was against it.
0: You know, and so, and, so, and their their dialogue. He's like, I just wanted to, you know, uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, talk to people about it, and Kamal's like, You've never talked to anybody about nine eleven. Well, you know, he's trying to say, I've never talked to a Muslim or somebody of your race about 9 11. And so he's implying all this, and I'm just dying laughing. And then Kamal tells him, It was a great tragedy. We lost how many pilots? <laughs> and I just lost it, you know. Because um, he's a comedian. He plays, I mean, he plays himself, he plays yeah. a
1: comedian, you know. And uh, it was just great. Very funny. And it's interesting on his side of the family, too, the culture clash. Him dating, potentially marrying a white girl. It's both sides.
0: You get to see all the culture clashes. So The Big Sick uh, probably should have made my top five, but uh, it's definitely an honorable mention as well.
1: Okay. I'll just mention these quickly. Uh, These are movies you should check out that aren't going to make my top ten list. So Blade of the Immortal uh i almost put that on my list as well too this is a japanese samurai film great has some comic booky elements with an immortal samurai i I love this movie from start to finish it's takashi miike's 100th film very entertaining ride we don't get many samurai movies this day and this one's a good one um i also mentioned ingrid goes west this was the aubrey plaza movie that came out last year about social media this is a girl stalking someone that she follows and I think it's a very timely movie. It's very interesting the way they handle the material. And again, it's, in, it's engaging throughout. So I would say Ingrid Goes West is on the list. That's on VOD. And my last one is Landline. This is on Amazon Prime. This is kind of a romantic comedy, but it's really about sisters. The younger sister is about to graduate high school and go out into the world. The older sister that is out in the world is engaged but doesn't want to get married. So she's rushing to come back home. So you have these diverging paths of the sister that can't wait to get out and the sister trying to get back in. Nice. Very believable sisters, very entertaining movie. And that is Landline. It's on Amazon Prime. Awesome.
0: Well, that's going to do it for our uh, five films that went under the radar that we think you should see from 2017. Um, When we come back, we'll give you our coming attractions and a preview next week's big one-year anniversary, top ten, all kinds of exciting things coming through next week so we'll be right back after the break you're listening to the film coterie podcast And welcome back it's time for coming attractions and i don't think we really know what our feature film will be next week do we adam we're kind of getting into a lull period in february end of january
1: yeah um we're also catching up on some award-winning movies that we haven't seen this week so we'll have something new to watch and review next week we just don't know what it is yet more importantly next week we're doing our top 10 list
0: yep our best films of 2017 and uh We want you to submit your films as well, too. It's hard to believe that we're one year into our podcast. We started with The Founder back in January of 2017, and we finished with Phantom
1: Thread in 2017. What a year in film we've had. I'm getting the balloon drop ready in our office so it can come down over (laughs) our heads as we finish the 100th episode, the one year anniversary episode.
0: I love it. So uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, let us know if you agree with our top 10 or not when we do it next week, submit your top 10. Let us, come on, let us mention you on the show. We'd love to do that. So on behalf of Adam, I'm Roger and, uh, we're going to call it a week. We'll see you at the movies.